The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Oh, come on. Welcome to the Grove Church. My name is Andrew, and I'm the pastor here. I'm so excited that you're joining us here at the Grove Church in Snohomish. We are now one church with two locations, and uh, last week we launched here at the Snohomish Performing Arts Center. It was an incredible day. I want to say a huge thank you to every volunteer that showed up to help make last week's party a huge win. Can we thank every volunteer right here? Absolutely incredible job. We're so excited that you're here today. And if you're a guest with us here checking out the Grove Church for the first time, like Michelle mentioned, you can take that Connect card uh, and drop it at the guest table. We have a free gift for you. It's just our way of saying uh, thank you for being here. In addition to that, my wife and I, uh, my wife Amanda and I would love to meet you in the lobby today. So if you are a guest with us, you'll find us in the lobby. We're not in any rush to leave. We'd love to meet you and your family. So make sure you introduce yourself before you leave um, today. We start a brand new series today, as the video showed, called Bad Advice. And this is kind of an interesting series over the next four weeks we're going to take as a church to something I personally have never done, um, being a pastor, going on nine years now of being a pastor, being a Christ follower most of my life. I'm going to do something this week and the next four weeks that I've never done in my entire life, and that is I'm I'm going to offer you some bad advice. The lens that I'm going to take on this series is how not to do things, or basically how to do things. And so today, my focus is going to be how to drift away from God. I'm going to, I'm going to give you four practical ways that if you're looking to drift away from God, here's what you can do to drift away from God. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, don't I come to church to get good advice? Don't I come to, to be built up? And I want to encourage you, you will be built up today. But we're going to take a different spin on this idea of bad advice, starting with today, me asking you this question. I don't want you to raise your hand or shout amen. I just want you to think about this question here and a few different ones here. How many of you, you have been closer to God in the past than you are today? How many of you can admit that you've been closer to God in the past than you are today? Or maybe put differently, how many of you, you want to admit today that you were more passionate about God's word, the scriptures, than you are today? Maybe for some of us here, we can relate to this because maybe back then in the past, we were so passionate about the word of God. We would read it for hours. We would highlight and have the fun little, you know, highlighters. We have a journal with us and we would, you know, take amazing notes with the scriptures and write down different verses, <coughs> excuse me, and think about different ways it would relate to us. Sometimes we would take verses and we'd put them in our, in our car or on our, on our, you know, area in our room or on our mirror, just wanting to take in the word of God, wanting to just spend so much time in the scriptures. Was there ever a time in your life maybe that you were excited about even coming to church? Get this, you would come early and not late, right? You would show up early, excited, passionate, wanting to tell your friends about Jesus. You'd show up during, during the worship and you would just be all, all hands up, just pumped about what God's doing in church. This is what it was like maybe for some of us in the past. Or, or, or what about prayer? Personally, I struggle with this one so much. Was there ever a time that you were more passionate about prayer in the past than you are today? I can relate to this. I grew up in a, in a Christian home where we would spend hours, I'm not kidding you, hours in prayer. 
At one point, my, my dad uh, felt like we were, we were us boys. I grew up with three brothers, two, two older brothers, three boys. And my dad felt like we were just getting a little too rebellious, okay? I don't know why my dad thought boys were rebellious. But anyways, that's a different story for a different day. But he thought we were getting a little bit too rebellious. So he implemented, didn't matter what we were doing, at 10 o'clock at night in our home, we were having a prayer meeting every night for a month, okay? And this is what it looked like. We'd be playing Sega or Super Nintendo or out in the back hanging out with friends and obviously doing something we shouldn't have been doing. But at 10 p.m., my dad would make us all come in the living room and spend an hour in prayer with all my friends. Now you can imagine like friends that are brand new there coming to my house going, dude, what is happening right now? So I do 10 o'clock, man, we got to go pray with our dad. But I remember, I remember like with prayer, I remember I would spend hours in prayer as a Christ follower. Literally, I would pray for my family and then I would get real bold and I'd pray for the world and I'd pray for different nations, right? And I have these long prayer requests of things I'd pray for just hours and it was, it was like time didn't matter. I remember I'd pray for heaven to come down on earth, like just big, huge prayers, you know, miracle prayers, God, do amazing things, right? One couple's marriage uh, kind of goes like this. They were, <coughs> they had a truck, and you know when they first got married, <coughs> excuse me, when they first got married, they'd be driving in this truck together. You know, and it had the banana seat, so she'd be all cuddling up next to him as they'd be cruising the country lanes and hanging out, and just little snuggle bunnies in the truck, just all cute and romantic. Well, fast forward twenty years. The wife went to the husband and said, what happened to us? What, I mean, what happened to us? We used to be all snuggly and cuddly. We used to sit by each other and be all connected. And we'd hold hands and we'd, we'd, we'd pull over on the country roads and we'd make out. I mean, what happened to us? And the husband, you know, she would say, you know, now we get in the truck and I sit on this side and you sit on that side. And the, the husband jokingly said, well, sweetheart, I wasn't the one who moved. <laughs> Let me suggest to you today that if there was a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are now, let me suggest to you, God is the one that has not moved. God is the one that has not moved. I'm going to break down a parable for you today, a parable of Jesus, Jesus taught in parables many times to the crowd. I'm going to talk with you a little bit about the parable of the seeds and found in Matthew 13. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you today, but basically Jesus would, would teach in parables and he spoke about his kingdom in this way. He talked about these four different types of seed. First of all, number one, there was a seed that fell on the path. Okay, birds ate it up. There was a, another place where the seed fell on a, a rocky place. Didn't have much soil, sprang up, the sun scorched it, and there were no roots. He, threw, he talked about another seed that fell on thorns that grew up and, and choked up and, and died. And then the last soil he talked about was the good soil that it would multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, when Jesus would teach in parables, and maybe you've heard this before, what your responsibility is when you read a parable in the scriptures is to put yourself in the story. Now, we're not, we're not Jesus, obviously, and sometimes maybe in a parable we are the crowd, but in this parable, we need to identify with these four different types of seeds and ask ourselves, 
which seed am I? What seed am I in these four different types of seeds that Jesus is talking about? So let me, let me break down each seed here and read to you the explanation of the parable. The seed that fell on the path. Jesus says that birds ate it. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that fell on the path and that the birds ate it. And to be honest, there are people like this in the room here today. You will hear this message and for whatever reason, you won't understand it. Maybe I wasn't clear enough. Maybe I wasn't funny enough. Uh, Maybe you don't like the version of the Bible I'm reading out of. Or for whatever reason, you're not going to understand it. It's not going to take root in your heart. And the enemy, the evil one's going to snatch it away. And that seed will not be planted in your heart. Jesus goes on to talk about the rocky place. He says, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. This is the seed that falls on the rocky place. Honestly, there's some of us here today that relate to this. You're going to hear this message with joy. You're going to hear this message with excitement. Maybe even in the lobby today, you're going to be like, oh man, that just really just hit me in my heart. That really, And you're going to receive it with joy. You're like the couple in the story where you're the wife and you're starting to scoot closer and closer to God. So there's joy and there's excitement and there's anticipation even for next Sunday or this week in the scriptures. But for whatever reason, that joy begins to fade when something happens to you. Maybe you leave today on a Sunday and you're out at the grocery store and you're talking to someone about how you went to church and they begin to make fun of that. Maybe this week you get called into your office of your manager or your boss and they say, hey, I'm so sorry, but you're not performing well. We need to let you go. Maybe what happens is you and, you, you and your family and you and your wife are trying to follow Christ and trying to live for him, but your extended family just thinks it's a bunch of jokes and co- talks about how religious you are and how you know, stuffed up you are. And for whatever reason, you started with joy, you started with excitement, there was passion, you even downloaded a Bible reading plan, but you got a bad report, something didn't go that good with you, and that seed ends up not taking root in your heart. And Jesus says, because of persecution or because of something that happens to you, a bad report or a bad situation, it ends up falling away and falls on the ground. Jesus goes on to talk about the thorns. He says, this is the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produce. See, this is, this is people that actually want to get it right. These are people that are, that are trying to do their best to live like Christ, but what, for whatever reason, the busyness of life, we, we just get caught up with the busyness of life. You know, you had one kid, then you had another kid, then you had another kid, 
And then you come home to your husband and say, I'm pregnant again, right? The busyness of life. And so now your world is consumed with raising children and buying diapers and getting them to their games and just craziness. You got to now buy a a bigger house and you got to buy a minivan. Don't buy a minivan, okay? You got to buy a minivan. I mean, it's just the, the busyness of life. This one I'll talk later in the message. This one I relate to the most. I have a a three-year-old and an eight-month-old, and man, life is just crazy and really emotional because I got two little girls. So life is just crazy right now for me and busy and nuts, and the lure of life and the busyness is just crowded out by the worries and the concerns. And then Jesus says, and some, it's wealth. For whatever reason, we get, we get preoccupied with how much we make and what's in our accounts. And for these reasons, it says that the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. And the last soil he talks about is the good one. He says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. See, there are plenty of people here today who hear, whose hearts are on good soil, and God is bringing good fruit through you. Now, when Jesus says 30, 60, 100 fold, you got to understand this was like farm world. This is like our cultural world. This is like, this is what, this is what fed their families and, and, so this is how they survived, okay? This is their source of income, taking care of their resources and feeding the mouths of their children. And Jesus is saying that when the seed falls on good soil, it's not just gonna produce 10 times, he's going to 30, 60, and then 100. And you gotta understand to a farmer and to that culture, that would have been like the lottery. To get, a, to get a, a, your seed to produce 30 times what you put into it is unbelievable, 60 is, is speed, but, but 100 is like, oh my word, I, I, I'm set for life. My, my family is going to be taken care of. Jesus is saying that's what happens for this kind of soil, this good soil. And see, like I mentioned earlier, you have to begin to take a step back and ask yourself when you read a parable like this, am I the one that the seed fell on the path, but I didn't understand it? And the birds came. Am I, am I the one where I was all excited, the rocky place? I was excited with joy. I came out of the gate swinging, but then all of a sudden, oh man, the, just the, 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 the life and, and, and persecution and people messing with who I am. Oh man, it just, it doesn't take root. Am I the person among the thorns where, man, my life is just so crazy, so busy, so consuming that I was, I just can't, I, I just get distracted so easily. And the God I once knew in the past is no longer the God I know today because I've moved away from it. We have to ask ourselves, what seed do you and I represent in this story? For some of you who don't know, I was actually born and raised till about eight years old in Southern California, okay? Now, all you people that are like, we love the fall, okay, I hate it, all right? Uh, my wife loves the fall. I hate the fall because winter's coming, and that's why I hate it so much, okay? But, man, I grew up in Southern California. I mean, I basically grew up here because I moved here when I was eight, but in Southern California, man, you just got the sun and traffic, right? You got the sun and the beaches, okay? And we would go, as little kids, we would spend so much time at the beach, 
And the beach is just crazy because you get so sunburned that your skin just begin, begins to like become leather and it just becomes like smooth like butter. It's amazing, okay? But we love the beach as a kid, okay? We'd go there and like any beach, if you've been to Southern California beaches, the water's warm, it's so hot outside and so... You get out there and you, you mark your territory, right? You got your umbrella and you get out your towels. Maybe you got the volleyball. You're going to do some beach volleyball. Maybe the kids got the sand toys and you're hanging out at the beach. Everybody knows because we've all seen Finding Dory or Finding Nemo. Everybody knows about the undertow. Okay. Beware of the undertow. Everyone knows about jellyfish and seaweed, but you got to beware of the undertow. And what happens when you go to the beach, if you actually get in the water in a beach like that has warm water, unlike our beaches here in Washington, okay? You get into a beach, here's what happens. You're playing, you're riding the waves, you're swallowing salt water. You're like, ah, you know, you're having fun, waves crashing on you. And every now and then you're just supposed to look back and go, okay, purple towel, blue umbrella, there's my wife. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing in the water and you're swimming and having fun. And all of a sudden you're like, is that my purple? Yeah, that's my pur- purple. T- there she, okay, purple town. All right, I'm good. All right. But if you're not careful, hear me today. If you're not careful, what ends up happening is you drift way away from where you started. You, you drift way far from where you started. Hebrews tells us we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Everyone say drift. So we do not, we must pay very careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. There was an old hymn I grew up in church. It always threw people the wrong way, but it always hit me at home, where the the hymn said, prone to wander, lest I fail you, prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to drift away from you, God. I'm prone to wander away. I'm prone to not go back to where I started. I'm prone to leave you. We need to pay careful attention so that we do not drift away. All right, are you ready for some bad advice? Are you ready for some bad advice? Are you ready to walk away going, man, I'm never coming back to this church again, okay? Bad advice, okay? I'm gonna give you four ways to drift away from God, okay? If you're tired of his presence, if you want to continue to get lost at sea, if you don't wanna have joy and you don't wanna have purpose, here's four things you can do to drift away from God. Number one, and I would encourage you to write these down, neglect your time with God. David says in Psalm 63, 1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Don't do that. Don't seek God. Don't crave for his presence. Don't read the scriptures. Don't believe that this word is living and active and can renew your mind. Okay, don't come to church. No, no, no. But when you come to church, here's what you should do. When you come to church, you should show up late, show up with your hands folded, and look really mad. Okay? 
I'm giving you, this is how you want to drift, okay? All right, and then when someone comes in your row, go, I, I need two seats. Okay? And, and just be mean. Don't, don't engage. Don't worship. Don't acknowledge his presence, okay? When you come to church, come late. Or even better, become a cultural Christian. The trend that we see every day today. Only come once a month. Only come to church once a month. Don't make church and time with God and relationship with him central. Don't spend time in his presence. If you want to drift away from God, this is how you start right here. Number two, hang around the wrong people. This is my favorite one. This is where the passion is going to go really high. Hang around the wrong friends and the wrong people. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. First Corinthians tells us this. Bad company corrupts good character. So here's what you want to do. If you want to drift away from God and you don't want him to be the center of your life, hang out with the wrong people. But let me go further. Hang out with people that are way less than you so you feel better about yourself. Okay? Hang out with people who will not call you on your stuff. Hang out with people who will not confront you and speak truth in love. Hang out with people that think everything's okay and it doesn't matter what you do or what you say or how you live. Here's even a kicker for you. If you're dating and you're not married, find someone who's a cultural Christian. Go ahead and be with somebody in a relationship that doesn't acknowledge God as the center of their life. Some of my single friends, I say, hey, you know, how, you know, how difficult it is, is it to find someone that you like or, you know, to be on, uh, you know, these different online, you know, dating sites. And they say, you know, here's the crazy thing. We, we find really good looking people on there. We, we find people that we could have common interest with, interest with. And everybody says to us in their little profile, well, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a Christian. Religion, Christian. Religion, Christianity. And then when we meet them, they are not a Christ follower like I am. Why? Because the Bible clearly says that when we become a Christ follower, we begin to filter our entire lives through Christ and what he says about our style of life. Hang with the wrong people. Neglect your time with God. Hang with the wrong people. Number three, give in to temptation. If you want to drift away from God, give in to temptation. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Give in to temptation. Ask God to forgive you. But then do whatever you want. Ask God to forgive you. Then do whatever you want. And then ask God to forgive you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace. Where you and I take advantage of the mercy and the grace of God when we choose to not change how we live. But this is what it means to drift away from God. Go ahead and neglect your time with him. Spend time with the wrong people. Give in to temptation. The last one here, number four. If you're looking to drift away from God, love this world more than you love God. Love this world more than you love God. Do not love the world or anything in the world, First John says. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
1 John 2.15. Believe this world is your home. Sell out to materialism. Go into crazy amount of debt. Obsess about sports and fitness and your hobbies. And then here's a, here's a perfect one. Follow people on Instagram that you are so jealous of and you want their life so bad and be their friends. And compare yourself to that. If you want to drift away from God, here's how you do it. Neglect your time with him. Don't crave his presence. Hang with the wrong people. It's impossible to live the right way if you have the wrong friends. Give in to temptation. Just satisfy the flesh and the desires of your life. And lastly, if you really want to do it, love this world more than you love God. And here's a bonus for you. If all else fails and you're trying to drift away from him, if all else fails, just fake it. Seriously, just fake it. Put the bumper sticker and the fish on your car, okay? Say all the right things, because did you know Christians have a Christianese? We have a language, you guys. And you may not know about it yet, but you'll find out about it soon. We have a language. When someone asks us how we're doing, we say we're blessed and highly favored of the Lord. <laughs> we have a language, okay? We have a, we have a language. People will say, hey, what have you been up to today? We say, man, the enemy has been under my feet this week, okay? We have a language, all right? If all else fails, learn the language, but don't let it change the inside of your heart. Okay, I'm done. That was really hard, okay? That was really hard for me, okay? I'm having to give you bad advice about how to drift from God, but here's why I'm telling you this today. Isaiah says something really, really hard for us to hear. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is how you drift away from God when you let Christ and his work of his spirit not begin to penetrate the inside of your heart and begin to change the core of you, your soul, your very being. You see, I give you all this bad advice because I'm preaching to myself today. If I had to put myself in the story of the parables, if I had to ask myself, which, which seed am I? Which one do I relate to? I'm, I'm the person that the seed has fallen among the thorns. Represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. That's me. At the end of April, we got a phone call about a church in Redmond that needed another pastor. Their pastor was moving on, and immediately when I heard the news that we could have an opportunity to help adopt another church, I immediately like ran home to my wife, and I was like, babes, this is it. We got a church and nothing had happened yet, right? And my wife just started crying, okay? So that's how, that's how that conversation went. But immediately I just went to excitement and passion. I tend to say a lot of things and I always think. But, but over time we begin to meet with this church. Its previous church was called Venture Church. We'd meet with this group of people and we, it was kind of like middle school. Even though I didn't go to middle school, it was kind of like, will you like me? Will you not like me? And over, over time, it was like this opportunity to connect and build relationship with them. And without knowing it, we begin to really fall in love with the people. And I, I think them with us. And all of a sudden, God began to bring these churches into becoming one. 
And do you know what's happened over the past three months of my life? It's been me trying to pastor a church in Redmond, but no one needs to relocate to Snohomish, knowing that the name of the church is going to be changed, knowing that they're having to experience a new pastor, knowing that we have to find all a new venue, knowing we need to order new programs, knowing we need new banners, knowing we need new music, knowing we need new curriculum for the kids. We need to make sure there's parking. We need to make sure there's some type of, of a food thing in the lobby. We need to make sure there's follow-up. We need to make sure we have fun events. We need to make sure, and all of a sudden, you know what happened to me? I'm getting caught up in the worries and the busyness of church life that I'm forgetting before I was a pastor and before I was a husband and before I was a father, I was a child of God and a son of God made in his image and he wants desperately my heart. That's what he wants. He wants my heart. But I got two little kids and a marriage that needs to thrive and I got a church to lead and all of a sudden the thing that I think matters the most is environment and lighting and music and friendly people and dressing nice. The things that I think matter the most don't matter a hill of beans if you don't have Christ at the center of your heart. I I didn't sign up to be an event planner. I didn't sign up to be a food connoisseur. I didn't, I didn't sign up to make sure this is square and center. I didn't sign up for that. I didn't sign up to preach. I didn't sign up so you'd follow me on Instagram and like my photos. I didn't sign up so that the church would explode and we could talk about numbers and how big the church is and wow, you grew a church from 50 to 60 to 300 and then three, wow, Andrew. I didn't sign up for that. At 14 years old, you know what I signed up for? I signed up to show people the love of Jesus and to seek and save that which was lost and it started with me. It started with me admitting I was lost, I was broken, I needed a savior. And God, you're going to call me now to help others find you. See, the good news today for you and I is that God is not the one that has moved. We have. We have drifted. And over and over in scripture, we see him calling us back to our first love. It says in Revelations 2, 4 through 5, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So here's the big one idea I want you to walk away with today. If you find yourself far from God, remember, he isn't the one who moved. If you find yourself far from God today, you can go back to those original questions and go, man, I remember how passionate I was about his word. I remember about how passionate I was about his presence. I remember how excited I was about worship. I, re- I remember all of these things and, and I, it's just not the same anymore today. Can I encourage you today that God is the one that has not moved? 
I love when people say to me, man, I just wish God would move like he did when I was in high school. I wish God would just do miracles like he did in the Bible. I wish God would do this and that. And we think to ourselves, when I hear that, I think to myself, do you think God has changed? Is the nature and character of God one that is changing? The Bible teaches very clearly that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could it be that you and I are just spending less and less time focusing in his presence, less and less time making him the priority and the center of our lives? But the encouragement today is if you find yourself far from God, remember he isn't the one who moved. Bible says that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Bible says that he left the 99 to come after the one that was lost. Bible says that when you and I confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died and rose again, we shall be saved. So it's not a matter of, of feeling guilty. What it's a matter of is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As the worship team is making their way forward, I really believe that's what you're feeling today. Because I've been feeling it all week. I'm like, great God, I get to go up there and tell them that I've been so focused on planning a church that I forgot about you. And that's a, that's a good thing, my friend. It's a good thing to feel that conviction of his spirit. It's a good thing to go, man, God, I remember when you and I were in the car talking and praying. I remember all, but now, God, I've kind of drifted. I've fallen away. I've moved past what you have for me. That's an okay thing to feel. Because the Bible says when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes, it leads us into truth. It leads us into right living. It leads us in returning back to our first love. I want you to bow your heads with me here today. I believe with all my heart there's people here in the room that it may not be that you've just drifted away. It may just be that you've yet to start. You've yet to jump in the truck. You've yet to have relationship with God the Father. You've yet, you've yet to say, you know, God, I want to walk with you on the sand shore of the beach. I want to be in your vehicle. I want to submit my life to you. I want to give you now the steering wheel of my life. I've been the driver. I've been in control. I've been the one making decisions. But today, for the very first time, I'm going to let go of that steering wheel. I'm going to give God reins of my life. Christ followers and the church and the Bible calls it salvation. A free gift offered to every person that Jesus, in humility, became our mediator between us and God. He did what you and I could never do. He died on a cross for our sins and rose again to give us life in him. If you're here today, you want to put Jesus first as Lord and Savior of your life. I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand right in this place. One, I see that hand. Two, three, thank you. Someone else. Anyone else with the three? Four, anyone else? You want to give your life to Christ with these four. Five in the back, thank you. Anyone else with the five that want to give their life to Christ? You want God to be the driver of your life with these five hands. Anyone else? And if you're a Christ follower, six. Thank you, bro. I see your hand. Going to give it one more minute here. Six, seven. Anyone else? 
Anyone else? You want to give your life to Christ, making him the center of your life with these seven hands. If you're a Christ follower with me and if you rose your hand, will you just pray this prayer? Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. I want a fresh start. I need a fresh start. I accept the fresh start you give me in your son, Jesus. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with the seven hands that raised their hand? Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.